Hey everybody, and welcome to Learning from Smart People. My guest today is Corby Mitleide. She is a psychic channel and medium reading since 1973, but she's always been the different one. A writer and visionary in a completely medical family. Her father's a doctor, her mother's a nurse, her brother's a doctor. She has always made her own path rather than take the one cut for her by others. Corby, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Listen, I appreciate you coming on. Let's let me start off kind of with that backstory. You're coming from a family where it's all medical. It's all I'm assuming kind of cut and dry and um, by the books. So with that background, how do you kind of end up being the outside the box child? Interestingly enough, I always say that my brother and I are two halves of a Rorschach with my father. Yes, he was a brilliant, compassionate, insightful cardiologist, but he was also a poet, a writer, someone who loved Lauren Isley, someone who wanted to know about the world. That's my half. The doctor half is my brother, who is world famous in cystic fibrosis and asthma. So dad did a good job. Fantastic. So then tell me, what's your, what's kind of the, the background? Your, your schooling, your kind of, where did you, did you get pushed into that towards the medical side? Or was it one of those things that from day one, you knew I, this is not what I'm cut out for. This is it. I, I've got to go my own way. Oh, look, they tried to make me a candy striper when I was, you know, a, a tweenager. Uh, you weren't getting me at the bedside with bedpans and amesis pans. I went to the gift shop. Thank you very much. Um, but the thing is with me, I always saw around corners and underneath rocks. Okay. A writer, a visionary. And I got into the psychic stuff because when I was nine, I read a book called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes. It was a kid's book. But I, instead of thinking, ooh, that's scary or ha, 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 my immediate response was, okay, your point is, I know there's magic in the world. Where is it? So I would always go and look for answers that were not cut and dried on the surface, five senses. Um, that meant I was a theater major went to Brown University for two and a half years. But back in those days, it was terribly experimental. You could take pass-fail for everything and then take Swedish and basket weaving if you wanted to, to finish your courses. It was not as structured as I needed because okay. I wasn't a good student. So left after two and a half years and went to go find myself. All right. And so you leave university, you leave Brown, and you're kind of off on this mission to find yourself. Where does that mission take you? And and what is it that you actually find when, when you discover who you actually are? What do you feel like it is that you've discovered? Okay. My career was checkered. Actress, author, inspirational speaker, legal assistant, video producer, comic book writer, executive recruiter. Boom, 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 boom. But the tarot reading for 20 years for friends and all of a sudden could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. And... Factor into that three bouts of breast cancer, two divorces. I learned to, to change on a dime and live the examined life. And the examined life is no matter what happened, it's this is happening. How am I going to deal with it? And then how do I teach with it afterwards? Because my nature is teaching. It just is. Um, 
So what happened is I formed what I call my sentence of passion. Your sentence of passion is not who you are or what you do or even how you do it. It's your vapor trail. So when you go skidding into heaven on ball tires and fumes in the tank and God says, so you get to go, look at this. I did this. So my sentence of passion is cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. When I can take somebody from point A to point B when they thought they couldn't make it, whack them on their shoulder, say, here are your wings. You don't need a flight plan. Now get, I'm living my bliss. And I did it for me. And that's what I do for others now. Got it. So let me just say that I, what you talked about a little bit earlier in, the, in what you said is that concept of living in the experience and you're going through it. And okay, so this happened. Okay. And then it's that concept of, I don't know exactly how you phrased it, but to me, this is, this is kind of how it appeals to me. This is, this is what happened. What can I learn from it? And how can I build on that moving forward? So it sounds very similar in style to, to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, simple example. I was married for a year and a half. All of a sudden, I got my third bout of breast cancer, second primary even. But the doctor said, okay, three strikes, you're out. We're taking your chest, we're taking your ovaries, and you're going from this Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug in three weeks with permanent side effects. Suck it up. Now, yes, I went home and cried for 24 hours. I mean, I'm normal. Sure. But then I said, I know what I need to do. I need to find three reasons to be okay with this. Number one, you don't have them. You can't get cancer there. That's good. Number two, the top half is not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year. And every woman listening knows what I'm talking about. Third, implants. Cool. I'll be perky till I'm 93. So I got out of Massachusetts General after reconst- uh, double mastectomy and reconstruction in three days, shopped for a bathing suit in five. That was in 2004. I'm clean as a whistle now. Well, I'm very thankful to hear that you're clean as a whistle. And um, it, I think what you're talking about is that understanding. Let me just say, from my personal perspective, mm-hmm. um, I'm a person with a disability. I acquired my disability when I was 21. And what, what you had to learn is very similar to what I had to learn. And that is, like, it's not my external doesn't define me. It's about who I am on the inside, and it's about becoming becoming comfortable with who I am, regardless of what the peripheral and external circumstances. Does that make sense to you? It does, and a lot of people don't get that. So believe it or not, the example I give them is from Men in Black. Remember the dude, you pressed the button, and the face flipped open, and it had the little alien in, in front who was doing We are really the alien running the body running the meat sack. And when people think about that, A, they laugh, and B, they get it. We are not our bodies. They're vehicles. Yeah, that is so right. What we are on the inside, that's who we are. And, you know, your soul, your essence, whatever it is that you want to call it, it lives inside the body, but the body doesn't define it, and the body is not us. uh, So... Let me just kind of shift gears a little bit, but when you're you're growing up in this house, what kind of feedback are you getting when you're saying, like, I'm not a candy striper, I'm not a bedside person, I'm not a medical person? What kind of feedback are you getting? Are you getting the 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 pushback from the parents that say, Yeah, but we know you can't make 
a living doing like fun flighty stuff. You've got to actually do something else and, and be have a real job, so to speak. I don't think that, well, my father later believed in me, but uh, my mother never did. My mother was an alcoholic cross addicted with barbiturates who felt that uh, I was not the daughter she really wanted. I was um, not slim. I was not popular. Um, and she was really more concerned with herself than me. Later, my parents despaired of me because I was going through a very rough life as opposed to my brother who went to my father's college and dad's medical school and got married and had babies. Um, but toward the end of his life, he died a week before 9-11. Dad finally realized that I was exactly who I needed to be. My mother had died in 1984. Mm. My stepmother, the one that he married a year later, knew exactly who I was and championed it. So it wasn't until I was in my 40s that they finally saw who I was and accepted me. Okay. But it didn't stop me from being me. Couldn't. Well, I mean, the Corby train was in motion from the beginning, and it was just a matter of them getting a ticket and getting on board because mm -hmm. it... it it just seems even in just talking to you for a couple minutes that you know who you are, you were comfortable with who you were, you were pursuing who, you know, being yourself and um, their approval or disapproval wasn't part of that. It was a matter of, you know, either eventually they will come around or even if they never come around, this is just going to be who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, I never, my mother and I never really got along. My father, I always adored but we had some rough patches, but at the end, right on target. Got yeah, it. You know, he came in and talked to me three weeks after he died. We were fine. Right. So you're, you basically take your own experience, the lessons that you've learned from that, and you use those tools or you teach those tools to other people. Tell me, are you, are you using them? Are you teaching them? Uh, what's, how would you describe what you're doing for other people? I help them realize that, number one, they've got their own answers. Um, in my book, Clean Out Your Life Closet, I wrote it because there's not one of us that doesn't have a shelf full of self-help books that we don't read. Because mm -hmm. we go to Barnes & Noble and there's these sexy titles and great covers and we flip a few pages and it looks good and we get it home. And then we find out that this person wants us to go vegan and do yoga three times a week. And, you know, I'm sorry. I live in Reedsville, Wisconsin with two kids and I'm a school teacher. This is not going to happen. Sure. So what I did is I wrote the book for subjects, clarity, adaptability, simplicity, and making friends with stress. But I structured it like this. The first part is these are some of the stupid things I did. Here's a client example. Here's some things you might think about. And at the end of each chapter, you have what I call the adventure pages. These are open-ended questions that there are no right or wrong answers. It's specific to you. For instance, in the chapter, finding happiness with what you have right now. How good are you at finding happiness in the moment? If you aren't good, what do you think stops you? That is specific to you. You can't flip through the book and see what it said you were supposed to say. So if you do those adventure pages, by the end of the book, that becomes your personal 
journal. And your best bud could have bought the book at the same time and read it at the same time, but for them it would be completely different because it fits their life. What I do is I tell my people, I trust you to find your own answers. I'm here to help. Right. You're the final. What, in, and in that way, it's, the concept is you're there as a guide. You're not there as a, as a traffic cop or as a director or, you know, or even as a, I don't even know, a map, right? You're, you're there just to- Mentor. Mentor, not guru. Yeah. It makes so much sense. I, you're right in this. So many people buy self-help books and what they do is they make us feel good for a minute. Because like, oh, I have this thing. And they give us, I would almost say, they give us like some form of hope to say, like, I'm not comfortable with where I am. I need to grow. I need, I know that, I know that something needs to change. Yes. Um, but you are also so correct in the fact that just buying a book mm-hmm. isn't going to, isn't going to change anything. It's absorbing the material that's in there. And, and sometimes it's worse because this is one more thing I'm doing wrong. Because I'm not doing it like they say. Right. And one of the things I really appreciate about what you said, though, is that each of us has to find our own path, our own journey, our own, our own way. And your way is different than my way. And Mm -hmm. that's okay because it's your journey and it's not my journey. And I really think the other piece that goes with that is a lot of people, when they're writing a self-help book, what they do is, this is how I did it. And so if you do it like I did it, then you will become like me and you will have the whatever it is that I have that you want. And I, what I'm hearing you say is, that's not it at all because you've got to, you need someone to kind of ask the, ask the questions, but they've got to stop at asking questions and allow you to answer those questions because your answers are what forms your life. All of our lives, we're told somebody else knows, and we don't. We are taught not to trust ourselves. When who's lived our life but us? Mm -hmm. Who's had our experiences but us? So it's logical. We'd have our own answers, just like we know what we want to eat, but we need to look in the kitchen and see what we've got to make the food. Sure. Same thing for the book. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And, and it's so interesting because, I, all right, confession time, this is really a stupid confession. Do but it. I don't like tomatoes, okay? I, I don't know why. I just, I never have liked them. fresh tomatoes. I'll, I'll do like pasta sauce and ketchup. Like I'm, I'm good with all that, but like fresh tomatoes, not of interest. My friend who lives down the street absolutely loves tomatoes. And he's convinced that... I just haven't had the right tomato and I, like, and so we have this discussion and he goes over with me all the time about why I'm wrong for not liking tomatoes because he loves them. And I just, and now if I experience them with his taste buds, I might have a very different opinion of them, but I use yeah. my taste buds and, and I don't, I just don't like them. And I, it's okay for you to like them. Just understand it's not my thing. It, I think that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, to go back to that, I know a lot of people like hot and spicy. I kid. I say I'm Marlon Blando. You know, I love taste, but not heat. So, yes, that's that's exactly right. Just because we choose to look at something in a certain way, it's good for us. 
No one has a right to correct us unless it's something like, you know, yes, we believe in killing people or we believe in stealing. You know, that's just morals and ethics. That's not tomatoes. Sure. And it's the difference between um, preference and, you know, concrete. And there, there are certain elements in which there are things that are right and wrong, and those are the ethical things. And, and, you're, and just hearing you say this, I think you're so right that sometimes people have a very misunderstood place of where the line is between preference and between ethics. Is yes. that? Yeah, it, it, preference is what you do for you, not what you force on someone else. So. It makes perfect sense. So one of the expressions that you use is you talk about thinking like a Martian. Okay. Everybody loves that. Sure. I, first of all, where did you come up with this idea? And what do you mean by Left that? field. <laughs> Left field. I have to say that. Okay. Good. What, like, what does it mean? And can you give me an example about what you're talking sure. about? Oh, sure. Thinking like a Martian. What I explain is... We're earthlings. We live on earth. We know things. We expect, you know, a tree is a tree. A Martian, or even someone from planet Zorch, he comes down here and he's this fascinated explorer. And he knows he doesn't know. So he doesn't do any judgment calls first. That's thinking like a Martian. How do we translate that here? If you had water coming out of your eyes, I might say to you, why are you crying? And I could be wrong. The Martian would look at you and go, why is there water coming from your eyes? And the Martian would be right because maybe you have allergies or maybe your contact lenses are bugging you or maybe there's an emotional basis. And when you leave yourself open to all the answers, you would be amazed. Quick story. There was a man who was in a very serious car accident and basically it took his face and made it look like spin art. And he was terribly embarrassed about it and he hid and he thought people hated him. But he was married and he had a kid. And he was putting his little girl to bed and she grabs his face and she smushes it next to his. And she says, wow, this would be a great picture, but it would be better if mommy was in the picture. Now, he thought in his old mind, even my daughter thinks I'm ugly. Instead, he thought like a Martian and just asked. Why would it be better if mommy's face was in the picture? And she goes back and she looks at him like he has three heads. And he says, because mommy can't hold the camera still and you take good pictures. <laughs> Boom. Right. When you let someone else tell you what they truly mean, you avoid kicking yourself. You avoid unnecessary anger and you learn. That's thinking like a Martian. It's very interesting to hear you say this because my my experience in life is that we are all hardwired for not just prejudgment, but rush to judgment. Mm -hmm. So it takes time and effort to think through things and to consider things from a, a non-judgmental perspective. Yes. And as we do this, it's, it's kind of stop and listen and allow other people to explain what's going on. And when you do that, 
you find out that um, what you initially, your initial thoughts, your initial reactions may have been very, very different. And, and as a matter of fact, I think that what we're talking about is I don't know what things look like from your perspective. I don't know what things look like from how you see them. Mm-hmm. And there's only one way for me to find that out. And it's for me to ask you and then to let you tell me how things look from your vantage point and through your eyes. And listen, you're talking about cleaning out your life closet, okay? And all of us have a closet full of stuff. Yes. And we generally like to keep it all locked up and to not acknowledge that we have it. Mm-hmm. And most of the, okay, I don't know if anybody in my audience will get this reference, but it's kind of like Fibber McGee's closet, okay? Uh, You're dating it, yourself. I know. Well, yeah, this, I'll, long story short, um, I grew up in a home with no TV and my parents entertained me by getting me tapes of old radio shows. So um, Fibber McGee's closet was just one of these things that it was so fat, packed full of stuff that you just couldn't open it because when you opened it, you were, um, you would deluge, yeah, deluge with a sea of junk. Okay. That is how our life closet is. And mm-hmm. that all of those experiences, all of the things mm-hmm. that are in that closet impact how we look at stuff. And so mm-hmm. it's not, you know, you've seen the, the picture of two people standing on the opposite side of a number. And Mm -hmm. the way that one looks at it is says it's a six. The way the other looks at it says it's a nine. That is simply the difference from vantage points. But the the back circumstances make it something that um, is something that cannot be explained just because we're looking at things from different vantage points. Does that make sense at all to you? It makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. Good. All right. So. In the work that you're doing with people and your, what makes your book different really than your average or your typical self-help book? And I think you touched on this a little bit, but you're, you're setting out to do something that's not the same old, same old. The point that I make is no one can tell you what your purpose is. God, as a psychic, I get that. What am I here to do? What's my purpose? Guys, I haven't lived your life, faced your challenges, felt your fears. The book is meant to tell you nothing is wrong with you and nothing ever was. All you have to do is decide what you still believe now and what you would like not to believe anymore. Um, There's a wonderful place in Massachusetts Um, called the Option Institute that I went to for a long time. Now they're just doing e-classes because of uh, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But what they taught us was the idea of stimulus belief response. And a stimulus is neutral. What you believe about it is what dictates your response. For instance, let's say it's raining out. Rain is neutral. That's your stimulus. You got one guy at the beach who's only got a week and it's going to rain for a week and he's miserable. You have farmers in Schoharie County that have been facing a drought and they're thrilled. And I'm working on my book and I've got the cat sleeping and I don't care. I'm neutral. Mm -hmm. 
the guy in the beach can change his thought pattern by deciding, you know, I wanted to do a Three Stooges marathon with my kids. Now's the time to do it. We can't go to the beach. There could be one farmer in Schoharie that says, you know, if it just held off three days, I would have gotten a big insurance payment. And me, I still don't care. Right. But the rain is the rain is the rain. So you can change how you view things the way I did with the cancer. I could not keep the rack. They were going. Right. But I could change how I dealt with it. Sure. Which speeded my healing, which gave me things to talk, to teach with. So... That's what this book says is you do have your own answers and I trust you and I believe in you as my reader. I'm just here to help. Good. Okay. As we're, as we're kind of wrapping this up, do me a favor. Give me the, the four elements that you cover in the book one more time. Clarity. Um, I believe in a three-legged stool. You want a good life. You get clear on relationships. You get clear on your purpose and you get clear with spirit. Adaptability is the idea of life as a tiny house. Um, that's also simplicity, going with the flow, and making friends with stress. We will always have stress in our life, so you need to understand what's good stress and what's bad stress. All right. It makes, it makes sense. Okay. So if people are looking to get a hold of you, if people are looking to find out more about your book, uh, where can they find you? Oh, they can't avoid me. Um <laughs> I'm, my website is corbymitlide.com. If they want to go directly to the book page, it's cleanoutyourlifecloset.com. I'm uh, on Facebook under Fire Through Spirit. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube as Corby Midlight. Wonderful. And I will happily put all of those links down in the show notes so that people can find you. And yeah, that'll be... Thank yep, absolutely. Listen... Um, you have shared a lot with us, given us a lot to think about. I appreciate that. And we are now at what I would classify as my favorite part of the show. Uh-oh. And, and that is three questions to establish your humanity. Are, are you ready for these? Hit me, baby. What is your favorite way to spend a weekend? Pretty much what I'm going to do this weekend, which is cooking, which is uh, working on my next project, which is lots of cat time. Uh, the husband is off doing an 18th century teaching event. So he's having his good time and I'm having mine. Okay. So I've got to ask then if you're cooking, what is it that you're cooking? Um, for me, cooking is therapy. So I do a lot of paleo, keto, the low carb high protein. We do grass fed pasture. We live in the middle of farm country in upstate New York. So all the, the farm stuff we get is the really good farm stuff. Nice. Yeah. And so I listen, you know, at some point in time, if I'm up in upstate New York, I may give you a, a buzz because I'm doing the keto thing myself. And uh, anybody that, anybody that can do that, it's, we are kindred spirits somehow. You got it. You uh, got it. So, what was your favorite age, uh, either growing up or, you know, what has been your favorite age to this point in your life? I would say my 50s. I'm 65 now. But in my 50s, um, it was post the surgery. So I was learning to live with this, this whole new body. 
but I feel like I was at center. I was strong. I was at prime with my work and life was delicious. So your fifties can be really, really good kids. Don't think it's over by 30. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'm 48 and I've got my fifties coming and um, you've given me some hope not to dread this. I'm Andrew. So um, before I ask you your last question, so who has joined us here in the picture? This is Baron Manfred. He is 12 years old. He's a Maine Coon. Maine Coons are little dogs in cat suits and clowns. They are absolutely funny. So I highly recommend Maine Coons to everybody. Uh, and a, a Maine Coon is a, a type of cat just to... to... Yes, okay. it is. Okay. It is uh, a big cat. Um, they are long-haired. They are very, very social. They're known as the gentle giants. So they're even good cats with kids. Wonderful. Okay. Last question is, um, what is your death row meal? So if, if, if you're on death row and they say, this is your last meal that you're ever going to have, what are you putting, what are you asking for on your, as your last meal? Fresh peaches. Perfect iced tea, fresh bread with butter, little things, simple things. And I'm assuming that's got to be fresh churned, like upstate New York, dairy cow butter. Actually, Kerry Gold from Ireland. But yeah, I do upstate if I had to. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, listen, Corby, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I really appreciate this. You've given us, like I said, a lot to think about. To all of the listeners today, thanks for sharing your time with us. Thanks for taking time out of your day to, to join us here on Learning from Smart People. I would ask again, check us out, subscribe, check us out on social media, drop us a comment, let us know what you think about the show today, about the show in general. And I will remind you all, as always, that when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody.